Hey, I love my family, and I'm sure you do as well. Today we're going to be talking about a Christ-centered home, what that looks like, because God wants you to have a happy family. I'm Steve Hogg, pastor at First Baptist Church in Rock Hill. Thank you so much for joining us for this broadcast, and I'm praying for you and for your family. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16. The book of Acts, chapter 16. We're going to look at some verses there as well as later in uh, 2 Timothy. So if you want to go ahead and mark 2 Timothy, you'll be prepared. But we're going to begin in Acts 16. And some backdrop so you'll understand the passage. The Apostle Paul, who had been co-pastoring with others, the church in Antioch, which was a very evangelistic, growing church, was one of the men that God called to be a missionary. And he and Barnabas took their first missionary journey, if you will, that lasted a few years, and they initially went to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. Then they made their way up to the, the, the province of Galatia, which was part of the Asia Minor area of what today we would refer to as Turkey. And, and you can see the different cities there they visited, and that's following what is laid out in the book of Acts about that first journey. And one of the towns they stopped at was, was a city called Lystra. And it's a place where Paul, God used him to, to do a miracle, to heal someone, and the people initially thought he was a god, and they worshipped him and Barnabas as gods, and they corrected that. And there was a work of God, and a lot of people became believers. And then they left Lystra and, and went over to Derby and then backtracked to Lystra again. So they, 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 they were in Lystra twice uh, on that first missionary journey. Well, years passed, and Paul's on his second missionary trip, his second missionary journey. And this time he's going to quickly pass through the area of Turkey and make his way over to Macedonia and Achaia to what we would think of today as, as Greece. They end up in Athens and Corinth, in fact, planting churches. But as they're making their way toward, toward Greece, toward Macedonia, they, they revisit some of the churches in Galatia. And one of those is Lystra. And so our story begins on this second trip, if you will, when they stop in Lystra, where years before they had planted a church that became a strong church. And so in chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came also to Derby, which is the city before Lystra, and to Lystra. And a disciple there was there named Timothy. Now, Timothy and his family are going to be our model for a Christ-centered home this morning. And so he, he comes to Lystra and he, he finds this young disciple, this young man who's a, who's a follower of Jesus. His name is Timothy. He says in verse 1 that he's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. That means he was a, a, a Gentile. And he was well spoken of. Not the father, but Timothy. Timothy was well spoken of, had a good reputation by the brethren among fellow believers who were in Lystra and Iconium. Iconium is the city west of Lystra where Paul had also planted a church. And uh, so here they, they, they show up, Paul and his traveling companions in Lystra. There's already a church there, but they meet a young man for the first time. His name is Timothy. Strong Christian, well-respected by other believers in, in, in that, not just in his church in Lystra, but in Iconium, neighboring towns. So word about his faithfulness to Jesus had begun to spread. Now, those of you who know your Bible will remember that Timothy 
became a fellow missionary with the Apostle Paul. Paul would assign him responsibilities. Timothy became a pastor of various churches during Paul's ministry. He was a, a Paul mentored him. In fact, two of your books in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy, are letters that years later Paul wrote to Timothy during their missionary work. So, what I want to do is is just pull out some things we learn about Timothy and his family that can help us to think about the things that need to be part of a Christ-centered home, okay? And the first is this. For it to be a Christ-centered home, there have to be people in the home who are saved. There has to be personal salvation, people who are followers of Christ. And that's, a, that's, that's basic, but, it, but it's the starting point. You can't have a Christian home if no one in the home is a Christian. All right? And that's simple, but it's important. A Christ-centered home is one where Christ is part of the family. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Timothy is a strong disciple. His mother of Jewish background had become a believer in Jesus Christ. So um, they're saved. And they, they were influencing other people as well as others in the family. And one of the things, uh, uh, one of the, the things is, when, is when someone becomes a believer in a family, Okay, that person, if they're being faithful and obedient and growing, brings Jesus into that home in a very unique way and begins influencing others. If if someone is saved and they come into that family and that and, and everybody around them is lost, but they're saved, the family's not going to stay the, the stay the same. They're going to begin having influence on others. Timothy's mom, she was she was Jewish, but she was a believer. His dad was Greek, a Gentile. The Bible tells us nothing about his faith. Probably he was not a believer. But we also learn that his grandmother was a believer. If you'll turn over to the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 1, verse 5, and I've got it on the screen for you as well. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, this is Paul writing years later this letter to Timothy. He says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Paul is telling us there that before Timothy ever, beca ever became a believer, his mother and his grandmother became believers. Now, they were Jews, and his mother was married to a Gentile. But his mother and grandmother became believers. When did that happen? We don't know exactly, but it's likely that it happened either on Paul's first missionary journey or sometime thereafter through the witness and the ministry of that local church Paul started on his first journey. But they were the first ones to be saved, his mother and his grandmother. And then later, Timothy became a believer. When, when I was a, a, a kid growing up, nobody in my immediate family were Christians. None of us went to church. My sister and I were the first to become believers. And then our mother... And then I led my grandfather to the Lord. Years later, Dad was saved and I baptized him. Prior to that, the boy my sister was dating in high school that she eventually married and is still married to today, he became a believer and was baptized. In fact, his parents became Christians through that influence. And his dad would later become a deacon in our home church. His two sisters would become believers my sister's kids who are all grown and have kids became believers and their kids, most of them are of age now and have become believers. 
my brother's wife, and now Liam, our grandson. And here's the point. When someone becomes a follower of Christ, that family will not stay the same if that follower of Christ is growing. And what did we say last Sunday? Having spiritual conversations with the people that's part of their family. Doesn't mean everyone in the family will become a believer. Free will. Okay? Everyone has to make that decision for themselves. But when you put salt on meat, it changes the taste of that meat. When you put a growing, obedient, faithful, witnessing disciple in a family, that family will not stay the same. Change will begin to happen. may not be everybody. may not be the majority. I don't know. But change happens because that's just the way God works. And that's foundational to a Christ-centered home. I want to say to you grandparents, I'm a lot of grandparents in this service. I pray that you are witnessing to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, your nieces and your nephews, your cousins, because heaven is for them as much as it is for you. And God says if you're going to be a, a beautiful disciple, then you're going to have spiritual conversations and your family, your extended family, is increasingly going to be touched by the gospel of Christ. I want to ask you grandparents, how many of your grandchildren have ever heard from your own mouth your salvation story, your testimony. How many of them have ever heard from you more than, well, I'll, you need to go to church? How many of them have ever heard you sit down with God's Word and explain to them from God's Word how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Number two, in a Christ-centered home, we're going to find that there is genuine faith genuine faith sincere faith in second timothy 1 5 he talks about that sincere faith i think the king james translates it unfeigned it's the idea it's, it's, it's the word for hypocrisy lack of hypocrisy there's no hypocrisy and, and it comes from ancient times when actors would wear a mask so they would resemble a character a role they were playing today if you go to a movie and you watch the big screen, the actor is not playing himself or herself. The actor is playing a part, a character. They're pretending. It's from that we get the word hypocrisy. And what this word is saying is you're not playing a part. You're not playing a role. You're not acting. You're not wearing a mask. You're the real deal, the genuine deal, the sincere deal. What they see is real. It's the real you, a real disciple, a real Christian, a real follower of Christ. No mask. You're not playing games. And Paul says, Timothy, that's the kind of faith you have, the kind of faith your mother has, and the kind of faith your grandmother has. And in a Christ-centered home, those of us who know Jesus Christ, if our home is going to be focused on Christ, we need to be the real deal. Not wearing a mask, not playing any any games? Do, do, you, do you know? Do you know who knows that you're a phony, or that you're pretending, or or that there's hypocrisy in your life, or that you're not the real? Deal? Do you know who knows that better than anyone else? Your family. You can hide it from strangers for a while. You can hide it from people you only see occasionally for a while. You can't hide it from your family that you see all the time. 
Sooner or later, the real you shows up. The mass falls down. And if you're going to influence your family, have a Christ-centered home, there can't be any phoniness. Now, this doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. We're not. But you better be real, authentic. One of the things that I respect in people, especially the longer they live, is do they continue growing? You see... It's not always they're here and need to be over here. Sometimes they're here, but man, they used to be back there and they, and they're still growing. I respect growth more than just getting somewhere and staying put. And I think God does as well. Because authenticity, sincerity will always show itself in growth. Not just staying put. Well, there's a third thing we'll find in Christ-centered homes that Timothy and his family remind us and about, and it's, it's the study of God's Word. That the Bible is more than just a book that sits on the nightstand, bookshelf, or coffee table until Sunday rolls around. It's a book that's read on Monday and studied on Tuesday. It's a book that's lived on Wednesday, practiced on Thursday, and talked about on Friday. Because it's the guiding principle of your life. It informs who you are, how you think, and the decisions you make. Notice what the Bible says about Timothy and his family in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says to him, You, however, continue. Notice this. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings what are the sacred writings it's the scripture and for timothy it would have been the old testament we we learn in this passage that from the days of his childhood he was taught the old testament now this probably happened even before his mother and grandmother become followers of christ when they were jews they were devout jews taught their son, their grandson is devout Jews of the Old Testament. And then they came to the understanding that Jesus was the Messiah the Old Testament had promised. And they continued teaching with this new faith and new understanding. And Paul says, Timothy, continue in those things. Continue in that study. Continue in those commitments. Continue in that conviction. Bible study. The prominence of the Word of God in their lives had been part of the dynamic of his family from before they even met Jesus, from the time they were just devout Jews. If we were to ask your kids and grandkids, what role does the Bible play in your life and in your family, what would they say? If we were to ask your kids and grandkids, what have they learned about the Word of God from you, what would they say? I like the fact that Paul says Timothy continue in it. Now, Timothy was a, was, was a man. How old? We don't know. But this was near the end of Paul's ministry when he wrote this second book to Timothy. So Timothy possibly was in his 30s or a little bit older by now. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, keep it up. You know that habit, that practice of studying God's Word? Keep it up. Continue in it. Don't stop. You never reach a point where you've learned all you need to know. You never reach a point 
where you don't need God to take his word and put it in your heart to meet a need in your life, to grow you, to change you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to shape you. See, in a Christ-centered home, God's Word is central. We, we, we never stop. And by the way, that's one of the reasons I'm encouraging you. That's one of the reasons you need to be in Sunday school to take seriously not only the fellowship with God's people, the mutual support we give each other in Sunday school, but the study of God's Word that takes place in Sunday school. And that that ha- that, that, that shapes us and, we, and, and can... When we study his word and it shapes us, guess what? That brings influence on our family, right? Influences the family dynamics and how we interact with one another. First Baptist is my family and my Sunday school class, my intimate family. Sunday school has helped my family through uh, building good relationships with other couples, other people. And it's helped improve my communication with my wife. We've seen our relationships grow with um, Christ and with each other from uh, the marriage lessons you hear in Sunday school. You serve by, by modeling, by serving by example. And my kids see us, you know, getting up on Sunday mornings, going to church, serving Christ in the community. They see us serving with our Sunday school class, the community. So I think by example, that leads them closer to Christ. I find it difficult to be a religious leader in my household because my wife has been uh, in church literally since the week she was born. I came to Sunday school as a heathen and I was, you know, to quote Pastor Mitchell, I was drugged. My wife drugged me. She drugged me here every Sunday. I knew that was, a, even as a heathen, as a, an unsafe person, I knew that Sunday school or church was a requirement of us having a, a happy marriage. To me, Sunday school is a vital part of the church experience. In Christ-centered homes, there's going to be what, what I'm going to refer to as family discipleship taking place. And I want to say something. One of the biggest mistakes we make as grandparents and parents is thinking that it's the church's job to do the religious education of our children. That's a huge mistake. That's a trick of Satan. It's unbiblical. Does the church have a role to play? Absolutely. Can the church make a difference? Absolutely. If we don't, something's wrong. Sunday school teachers matter. But parents and grandparents matter more. And what your children become has more to do with you than it does this church. Now, this church matters. You matter more. You matter more. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. He not only learned them, but notice, knowing from whom you have learned them. From whom did he learn them? From childhood. His mother. His grandmother. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, what responsibility do you, do you take for the discipleship of your children and of your grandchildren? God says that's your responsibility. And one of the things that at the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment day for Christians, 
that God's going to examine is the influence we had on our kids and grandkids and the discipling we did with them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, this very famous Old Testament passage. Let's look at it here. He said, these words, referring to the Old Testament teachings, which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. It's got to be real, sincere. got to be in you. You can't really effectively disciple somebody if you're not a disciple. It's got to be in you. It's got to be real. You, not the synagogue. You, not the church. You shall teach them diligently, consistently, with, with, with determination, with intentionality. To whom? Your children. And not only are you to teach them in a formal sense, but you're to what? Talk about them when you sit in your house. You know, that's Monday night when you're watching the ball game. When you walk by the way, you're on your way to the grocery store or to school in the morning or you're on vacation. And when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go to bed and when you get up that morning during breakfast. That, that the, the Word of God is to be so ingrained in you, is to be such a part of who you are as a follower of Christ. You're so sincere and genuine in your relationship with Jesus. It's just natural for you to talk about your relationship with Christ during life and, and helping as you help your, your children and your grandchildren understand the experiences of life, helping them understand biblical principles and biblical truth and how you apply those things to everyday living. Helping your kids understand what it means to forgive because they see you forgive and you you teach them about it you talk about it let let them see in you what it means to serve jesus take your kids and grandkids with you when you ring the bell for the salvation army take your kids and your grandkids with you when you go to visit a homebound member or somebody who's lost and let them see you doing faith in action and then you talk to them about it The church can't do that for you. That's your job. Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 2. The Bible says that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And, And I'd always known that, but what really jumped out at me this week as I was reading it, it wasn't just Lystra where he had a good reputation. Now listen, it's one thing for people to like you, Something else for them to respect you. There's a lot of people at church we like, but we don't necessarily respect them as growing, obedient, really dedicated followers of Christ, correct? There's a lot of people show up when they can, when, when, when it's convenient. There's a lot of people. We like them. You, there's people you like. I mean, you really enjoy them. They're great people. They're fun people. You enjoy hanging out with them. They're, they're good people. But, but if you were to say, do you respect them as a really mature, dedicated follower of Jesus Christ? You say, well, yeah, man, I know they're saved, but, you know, no, I don't put them up on that pedestal where I put some other people. Now, is, is that honest enough? Am I being honest is, or am I making something up? It's a real deal, right? Not everybody sitting in these chairs right now is a dedicated follower of Jesus. You may care about Jesus, and I'm glad you do, and you're here, and I'm glad you're here, and you're growing. Thank God for that, and, 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 and the past doesn't have to be your future. But some of you are not really, you know, you're not up here really dedicated to Jesus right now in your life. And people know that. 
And they like you. But Timothy was more than just like. Timothy was respected. And his reputation as somebody who just was, you know, on fire for Jesus was so strong. It not only was in Lystra, his hometown, but it was in the neighboring town. It'd be like the people in Rock Hill knew you loved Jesus. And guess what? You loved him and served him so faithfully and you were doing such a good job that the people over in York or down in Chester or across the way over in Lancaster knew about you and your love for Jesus as well. You get the picture? Because it was Lystra and Iconium, a neighboring city. And when your life and your family is centered on Christ, people are going to know. And they're going to respect that. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but they're going to say, wow, yeah, we'll respect it. And then number six, obedience to God's will. Interesting verse, verse 3. First part, you know, really cool. The second part, you go, oh, me. Acts 16, verse 3, Paul wanted this man, Timothy, to go with him. He wanted Timothy to become an associate missionary with him. And so he took him and circumcised him. Timothy's a young man. That wasn't fun. <laughs> I imagine back in those days, it was a lot less fun than it would be today. <laughs> because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek, a Gentile. Now, Paul understood, and he's the one that preached and wrote in, script in the New Testament, that you don't have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. You don't have to be circumcised and all those things. So he's not making a theological point. You know what he's doing here? It's a missiological strategy. Because, see, Timothy, his mother was a Jew, but his father was a Gentile. And so when they were going to these Jewish areas, and, and Paul's missiological strategy was every city he went, you know the first place he went? the Jewish synagogue. Why? Because that would be the group that would be most likely to initially hear about Jesus and accept him as the Messiah. And then after some of the Jews became Messianic Jews, followers of Jesus Christ, he would then go to the Gentiles. That was his strategy. And he knew that when he first went to the Jews, if Timothy was with him in this, and, and, and the audience knew that his mother was a Jew, but his father was a Greek, they would, and he'd never been circumcised, they would say he wasn't a good Jew, so I'm not going to listen to anything he has to say. He wasn't a good Jew before he became a Christian. He followed his dad's Gentile Greek ways. He didn't care about his mother's Jewish heritage. We're, so they, he, they, they would lose respect for him. When we, we were in Zambia in Africa, the women on our mission team, anytime we left uh, the facility where we were staying, they had to wrap this, I, I don't know what you call it, I just call it, there's a name for it, I don't remember it, it's just a wrap. Think of it like a skirt you tie on your side wrap around even if they when they would wear pants but all the ladies on our team when we would go out they'd have to put that wrap on because in their culture if a woman did not have that on it was it was awful it was taboo the missionary wife in her own home when there were locals in the home helping anything she always had a wrap on because if any woman was seen without a wrap she was no longer respected missiology says you understand the issues within a particular culture because if you don't you won't get an audience you won't have a hearing with anybody you're trying to win to christ that's a missiological evangelistic strategy that you try to understand the culture and work within that culture 
That's a lot of what's going on in America today, trying to work within the culture. We do it overseas easily. We struggle with it at home. But notice what this says about Timothy and about his family. Because Timothy was willing to go through this painful procedure so he could be more effective as a missionary. What does that tell you about him? Hmm? His commitment to the will of God. And he went with the Apostle Paul and never for the rest of his life lived in Lystra where his family lived again. We don't know how he died. Christian tradition says he was martyred. We don't know that. That's just what tradition says. But the will of God. The will of God. What role does the will of God play in your life and in your family? And, and, and please hear this. Hear it the right way, okay? Hear it the right way. Family is important. Family is important in my life. I've always protected my family time, even to the point if somebody got mad at me because I wouldn't do something they wanted me to do. That's, I, I live with that to take care of my family. But God's will for your life is even more important. 